was the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring. Nothing. No action. Dullsville. You married? No. Family? No. Night like this, it sort of spooks you to walk into an empty apartment. I said I had no family. I didn't say I had an empty apartment. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, because that's the way it crumbles, cookie-wise, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Hey. On today's episode, Nikki and I are sitting down for her first viewing of a Christmas-adjacent classic, Billy Wilder's The Apartment from 1960. In December, here at The Unenthusiastic Critic, we like to barely acknowledge the holiday season by watching movies that barely acknowledge the holiday season. These are movies that have been called Christmas-adjacent movies. Movies that take place during the holidays or are vaguely holiday-related, but otherwise aren't really about Christmas at all. Last year, we watched the ultimate Christmas-adjacent movie, Die Hard, and we also watched those other feel-good holiday hits, Brazil and Gremlins. Oh, God. I think some of our other favorite Christmas-adjacent movies include The Lion in Winter, uh, Trading Places. Yes. I realized Rocky IV, which we watched for the podcast, is a Christmas-adjacent movie. No. The big fight between Rocky Balboa and Ivan Drago in Russia takes place on Christmas Day, so totally qualifies. Mm -hmm. Now, last year in our Die Hard episode, we also had the requisite discussion about our favorite Christmas movies and Mm -hmm. what makes something a Christmas movie. So we're not going to have that discussion again this year. Okay. I will refer our listeners to that episode. But this, Nakia, just between you and me, is is actually becoming a problem for the unenthusiastic critic. Okay. You know, we we established early this format where each week we try to have a preliminary discussion about the genre of the movie we're watching Mm -hmm. or some other general topic related to the movie that we're watching. But this is now our 77th episode, and, and I think we've had... All the conversations. All the conversations. As in our relationship, everything <laughs> exactly. Been said. We've run out of things <laughs> to talk about. I don't think we're ever going to run out of movies to watch. Sure. Lucky for you. Yeah. But you know these genre conversations, we've we've had a lot of them at this point, and it's not always easy to think of something for us to talk about here. So I'm admitting this because this year I got desperate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lacking any imagination of my own, I, of course, went to Google and in desperation typed in Christmas topics. Mm. And I actually think I I kind of hit the mother load here. I found a site, which I will link to in the show notes, called journalbuddies.com. Uh, This is a site that apparently provides writing prompts for children, I guess to help teachers or parents or whatever give children topics for essay questions or journal entries or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And there I found a list of 54 Christmas writing ideas for kids. This is like a list of questions to ask kids to get them thinking about Christmas-related topics. It's not very inclusive. How How so? 
Well, not all children celebrate Christmas. <laughs> I believe there's one question in there that references that fact. Okay. So I thought, lacking any better ideas to open our holiday discussion this year, we would use this tool to help narrow in on your general feelings about Christmas. Okay. You can almost think of this as one of those terrible job interviews, you know, where they ask you if you were a tree, what kind of tree would Mm -hmm. you be? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, what's your biggest weakness? I had a job interview where I was asked if I had to design a t-shirt that represented myself, what would the t-shirt look like? Yeah, see, I would have turned around and walked out of the office at that point. Just, I don't even, I didn't even know how to answer that. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, these are a bunch of questions like that. Okay. You know, we're not going to go through all 54 of them, but let's go go through some of these. So just, you know, off the top of your head. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell us. Well, we'll start with some general it's questions. like a Rorschach thing. Mm-hmm, exactly. Say something about me. Or like in Blade Runner when they're trying to figure out who the replicants are. Sure. They ask them those questions. You know, you come mm-hmm. across the turtles. Mm-hmm. Okay. General questions first. What does Christmas mean to you? Christmas to me means consumerism, <laughs> family, and food. That's probably it. In that order? Yeah. <laughs> 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 but in your order of preference, it would be food. Eh, I mean, I like to get gifts. You so the like, consumerism like would probably gift. be okay. one and then food and then family. That's fair. Yes. Okay. What is your favorite thing about the Christmas season? Gifts. <laughs> and time off. <laughs> no, Spoken I'm, like a true American. Yes, a, a true, you know, I believe myself to be a socialist. Obviously, I, I am not. No, it, but I do. It's probably the only time that I enjoy Chicago in the winter. Okay. Because there is a freshness to the season, a newness. Like, you haven't gotten sick of winter yet. You're sick of winter in I really am. mid-September. Well, it started early this year. But no, but you have, you know, the Magnificent Mile is lit up. You have mm. the Chris Kendall Market, the Holiday Train. The windows the in windows. the store formerly known as Marshall Fields. Yes. Tuba Christmas, which we discovered a few Oh, that was awesome. Insane thing that happens where it's just a collection of tubas and sousaphones. It's, it's an all-tuba orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> playing, playing Christmas, Christmas songs. Just like blasting them. And it's, it's, do they do that every year? We haven't been to that in a few years. I think it's annual. We should check and see. But it's at, it was at the Palmer House, I believe is where yeah. we were. So and it, we thought it was an obscure thing. It was, we, it was packed. packed. So we had been All sleeping on Tuba Christmas there. for years, apparently. And then there's caroling at the beam. Oh, the holiday train. The ho- yes, I mentioned the holiday train, which is... So, again, I like... And this is probably the Vegas in me. I enjoy the sort of tackiness <laughs> that comes with yeah. Christmas. That is the Vegas in you. It is the Vegas in me. So, for a brief moment, I get into the spirit. Um, okay. But, yes. Yeah, so, but mostly, I just like to have things bought for me. <laughs> so, this, I guess, is a related question. Mm-hmm. How do you know the Christmas season has arrived? What well, makes you feel like it's Christmas? Well, you know know that I'm sort of a Grinch about people starting the season. You are. That's another question on this list, which is, uh, do you think that people begin preparing for Christmas too early? Yes, I do. <laughs> I am. I mean, at this point, people start rolling Christmas stuff out in November, and I just think that that I is... I think October. I think yeah, 
Because I seem to remember this year you saying it's not even Halloween yeah, yet. That's right. We did start seeing stuff before seeing. Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. Yeah, they started playing movies. Mm-hmm. You know, the Walgreens sort of displays start to come out. So I just, to me, it cheapens it. Like, if the whole thing is having this magic of the season, then don't you lose some of the magic if it becomes a season of six months? Right. So I am strongly anti-Christmas before December 1st. You can maybe make the argument for the day after Thanksgiving. I may give you that. Mm. Maybe. Just because it's a shopping day? Just because, and yeah, and so I, sure, you can make, and like, at least all of the holidays are now done. Like, you're not right. At least you've done them in order. Right, upon other holidays. But for me, December 1st <laughs> is when the Christmas season can officially begin. I don't want to see Charlie Brown Christmas Yeah. until maybe a week before Christmas. Okay. If that, I would prefer it on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Okay. And on the the flip side of that, the tree better fucking be down by January 3rd. (laughs) See that? No. I feel like that's rushing it. No. The new year is now done. Don't you want a fresh start for your home and a fresh sort of start to the season? Like, just, nope. It needs to all be down. I mean, January 3rd, January 5th, somewhere around there is usually the back to work time, right? So that's, I mean, I can see that that is the end of the -hmm. the season and pack it up. So I don't want to see trees (laughs) in the windows in February. You get furious. When we walk around town and people still have their Christmas trees up in February... You, if there was a hotline you could call to have them rated, you would do that. I really would. Yeah. I really would. Okay, well, since you're feeling opinionated, let's get to the preferences section of this questionnaire. Mm -hmm. Do you celebrate Christmas on Christmas or Christmas Eve? Christmas. Okay. Right? Psychopaths? Yes, it's Christmas. (laughs) Is Christmas about giving or receiving? I guess we've already established. It's about receiving. It's about receiving. (laughs) Yeah. Though I do give, but I enjoy receiving more. And that's everybody. Quite like, let's not lie. It is. We all prefer to receive. Okay. Uh, real Christmas tree or fake Christmas tree? So I was raised on the fake Christmas tree. Okay. We had one of those white Christmas trees. Oh. And... There's more Vegas in you. It's, it's a lot of Vegas. But then it was... Uh, my mom would have, like, red and silver garland... And then there were red ornaments, so it was like a red-white vibe. It was very, um, very Melania Trump chic. No, but see, her stuff looks like (laughs) it should be on the Death Star. Ours was not that menacing. It actually looked very nice and welcoming. And it's it's. See, I was going to make the the argument that it's like better for the environment, but I actually don't know because it's plastic. Yeah, not sure about that. And aluminum, and that's probably not great. Um, You and I have done both. We currently have a fake tree for convenience purposes. Right. But a couple of years we did a real tree. We did a real tree. There's a service that they will deliver it and pick it up and recycle it. And it's all supposedly is ecologically friendly. See, I like the smell. I do like the smell of a real Christmas tree. I do enjoy the smell. But you know, I am also hyper paranoid about fires. You are, yes. So that's with real trees. Despite falling I'm just, asleep with a heating pad on you every single that's night. That's not going to start a fire. And, you know, I would I would hope I would, you know, feel the burning before it became a problem. <laughs> yeah, um. That's what everybody knows. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm a little bit paranoid about trees drying out and causing home fires. Okay. But. Here's a related question I think you and I have fought about. Mm-hmm. Uh, white Christmas lights or colored Christmas lights? Colored. 
You're wrong on that. I am not wrong on that. You're wrong on that. White is boring. White is so much more elegant, so Who much cleaner. Want, again, why do you want an elegant Christmas tree? <laughs> Christmas trees are supposed to be ridiculous and over-decorated. I, you know that I will weigh down a fucking tree you with will. lights and ornaments. We decorate the tree. I think it's done. It's never and done. And you're like, oh no, there's 17 more boxes it's of ornaments done. that no. we can pack on there. I need all and the colors. Some years you go out and buy more ornaments. Because we need more. Because we need, yeah. All colors. All the ornaments, all the t- the only reason we weren't doing tinsel for the past few years is because our cat had a habit of eating it. Yes, but otherwise, I'm also pro tinsel. <laughs> it's meant to be gaudy. Okay, all right. Did I tell you about the Christmas? And it may have happened more than one Christmas where my aunt apparently had a nemesis in the neighborhood. <laughs> And I think it's because they had... Your family makes a lot of enemies, we don't do. they? We do. We're good at it. I think they had a cat that kept coming onto her porch, and she would, like, pour hot water on the cat, which what I do not... Shit? No, I do not advocate that at all, but that's a very my family response to that. And so I think that this family knew that she was doing that. And so one Christmas, and again, it may have happened more than one Christmas, <laughs> they stole the lights off the bush outside her house, but they didn't steal the string of lights. They, they stole just the bulbs. took <laughs> the individual bulbs. How much that's- does someone have to fuck? hate you. That's kind of brilliant. That they will stand outside <laughs> and unscrew the bulbs from the string of lights. So you think your shit's still together and then you turn on and there are no lights. Because so wait, did they take the bulbs or did they just like unscrew no, one and not fit it? No, they the bulbs. Okay. Because it would be kind of genius to... Just unscrew one. Because you know how if you screw right. up one bulb, yeah. the string won't work. Yeah, no, no. To just screw one up and then they took the, the person has to check them all. They took the bulbs. That's genius. I mean, it's, yeah. it's fucking... Like, that's a whole level of hate that I'm I mean, just, I just say petty. Your aunt had it coming. I mean, she, it was not great to be pouring hot water on the cat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So here, here's a few questions that I'm guessing you don't have strong opinions on. Okay. What is the best thing to build with snow? I don't build anything <laughs> with snow. I am not a snow. You do not interact player. With snow yeah, if no, you I can don't avoid it. I don't. I don't get the the joy of touching cold shit with my hands that people have like peed on and stepped on. I don't. I don't understand it. Um. So I don't think I've ever built a snowman. See, I feel like we life. should do. Let's do that this year. Uh, no, I won't be doing that. I just don't. And then it's like, and it melts or it just gets dirty and gray. Like, what? I don't get it's, the... It's transient art. It, you know, okay, exists in art. glory let's not, for let's not as long art. as it exists. Mm-hmm. And then it melts. So it's like building sandcastles. Nope. Didn't do that either. <laughs> you need to have a child. We're going to try to give you a belated childhood at some I don't, point. I'm not really a winter sport or activity We're going to build a snowman and a snow nope. fort. Nope. We're going to go sledding. At most, I will, you know, walk around with some hot cocoa. <laughs> You don't even like to do that, really. I mean, for a minute. Okay. Uh, Who is your favorite reindeer? I have no opinion on that. (laughs) I don't know how anyone decides that. Who the hell has a favorite reindeer? I mean, I guess everybody would say Rudolph, right? Because he's the only one with an actual story. He wasn't even a real reindeer originally. What do you mean he wasn't a real reindeer? Dasher, Dancer, Prince, or Vixen. He's not listed in there. Well, but he has... He's a late addition. Okay. He's like the cousin Oliver of the reindeer world. You seem to have feelings about this then. I do. I don't. He's literally the only one. I However, know. once you get past that, I don't know how anyone has a favorite reindeer because are, are you picking on their names? That's what I'm saying. Because like, otherwise, he's the I don't only know that they have a lot of individual personality. So apparently, as far as we know, every like, all the other ooh, reindeers were Blixen. They were dicks to him. So then, why would we pick anyone I'm other than Blixen. Rudolph? Because they were all apparently very mean to him. So. Okay, so we agree that's a stupid question. Yes, it is. It's nice that we agree on something this <laughs> holiday season. If you were an elf, what kind of toys would you build? 
None. Um, Nakia doesn't like to make toys. Well, I would be the elf that would be advocating for a union. Like, why are we <laughs> in a sweatshop? Like, I, I feel like that's that would be my question. I don't want to make toys because I feel like we need a union. You would first. be striking. Yes, mm-hmm. I need to. I, w- I need to have rights. <laughs> I don't want to be up making toys all night. Uh, so we don't know what kind of healthcare plan. They didn't have healthcare. They have no. Didn't one of them want to go away and be a dentist? Probably. He wanted to go be a dentist. It wasn't because his teeth were rotting out. Cause but it was probably because he would get benefits as a dentist, and he didn't get them as being an elf. Okay, you're assuming a lot about. You know, so I would not uh, toys. Let's okay, see. fair enough. <laughs> okay. I liked light brights, so I would I would make a light bright for someone. I thought those were good toys. Okay. <laughs> Weren't they kind of boring after a while? No, you can no? make all little different pictures and then they lit up. But the problem was is they'd get lost in the carpet and then your mom would vacuum them up and you'd hear <laughs> going up the vacuum and she'd be pissed at you. What would you hear? <laughs> you know how when you vacuum something hard, <laughs> you just yeah, hear like... No, I just like, like it. <laughs> I just like it when you do sound effects. <laughs> I like it when you do accents and sound effects. What is your earliest Christmas memory? Um, I don't know how... Old I was, younger than 10 years old, my mom got me this, like, plastic house, and it was basically a tent sort of thing, but it was painted like it was a house. Like, it had mm-hmm. a little window mm-hmm. with the flowers on the windowsill, and then just, like, a flap door, and you could go in. There was nothing actually in the house. It was oh, this is, like, a house large enough for you to get in? Yeah. Like a playhouse? Yeah, okay. like a little playhouse. Um, but cool. there, it But it was just a tent. Like, there wasn't actually anything in the house. It was just painted to look like a house on the outside. Well, it was um, a place to hide from your psychopathic aunt. And um, so I think that was... Was probably the first Christmases that I remember as having going into that little house. Okay. What What did your family do on Christmas Day? So um, we'd all started our own homes. So everybody did their own like mm-hmm. little unwrapping gifts and having breakfast and stuff like that. And then we would all go over to my great grandma's house where she cooked a ridiculous amount of food. And we did more gift opening. Again, this is just this is just for the kids basically. But she had like a tree. Right. And we'd actually sit in the living room that no one ever sat in because it was all covered in plastic. And it was like the formal living room, but we would all be in there and we'd do gifts for the kids and then eat. And that was our Christmas. Okay. Uh, what kind of food? What were your... Oh, man. What were your favorite... What What are your favorite Christmas foods? <laughs> you made everything. I did then and still do collard greens and dressing is probably my favorite dishes. For Christmas and Thanksgiving. I was never big on meat, so, like, we didn't really do turkeys but a lot, but we did, like, hams and things like that. Okay. I could take or leave that. But she, my great-grandma used to make um, handmade yeast rolls, and they were, it was so buttery and so fucking good. I still, to this day, dream about those yeast rolls. I, I, I want some now. They're so good. And then she baked a, like, ludicrous amount of pies and cakes, but my favorite was... Uh, caramel cake and it was yellow cake encased in this like thick layer mm. of hard caramel and it was oh, amazingly good, good. <laughs> again i dream about that caramel cake and i love it but she also did like german chocolate cake which was delicious cookies are you a christmas cookie person we weren't big on christmas like we didn't do the i don't remember can we talk about those christmas, christmas cookies. cookies that those sugar cookies that everyone serves because i think you, like decorate trash. i mean i think that they i mean they're sugar cookies they're not the most they're exciting not, they're cookie, not worth the effort to make or to eat i think to, certainly not to decorate i think no but see i think the value of them is the activity like particularly if you have children like you bake you cut out the shapes and then you can decorate them so i think it's more so about it's like the activity. dying easter eggs kind sort of, of yeah so i think that's more what it's about like it's about the communal activity than it is about the actual flavor of sugar cookies but i like we weren't big i don't remember us ever having cookies at christmas okay uh did your family go to church yes so we were 
AME family and we had Easter services and Christmas services and the kids all had to learn speeches. <laughs> so they were big, like little poems mm-hmm. about Christmas. And so the older you got, the longer your fucking poem got. Um, <laughs> so Wait, where, where were you called on to recite this? You had to go up in front of the church. In the church? Yes, oh, in front of the entire... <laughs> That's a lot of pressure, pressure for Christmas it vacation. Is, which is why, you know, the little kids got like a little paragraph. But then once you got to like, you know, 10 or 12, you got, you had like three paragraphs that you had to memorize and I remember like working on that shit for weeks before the Christmas service but yeah so you had to get (laughs) you had to say your Christmas poem and that was when you know you had your there's a full Christmas look so you would have you know a new dress and Mm -hmm. some like frilly lace socks with little Mary Janes and you know you get up you say your little poem and they clap for you and say oh that's good baby that's good Uh, and what if you fucked up you still you know you support I mean it's definitely like less cool to fuck up the older you got because it's like <laughs> you're too old to not be nailing this um but the little kids that would like struggle with their lines it was oh that's okay baby and then some adult would like go up and finish it yeah. for them. and then they gave us like they would give us like little christmas treats and things like that and we'd have like dinner and stuff at the church but... do, you, do you remember any of your memorized passages i do not for some reason i don't remember any of the christmas ones i remember that one of my easter my easter speeches was something about like jesus wrote on this day but I don't remember what the next one is um, <laughs> so but yeah so that's what we it was it was performance time okay have you ever gone caroling why would I do that because well I started to say because it's a thing people do I've I'm not sure it is never seen any I, carolers what I was just in thinking. any neighborhood that I've lived in I have never not only never gone caroling carolers have never no. come to my door that is the thing I've only seen on television I've never do you think they just made it up I think that it probably happens in some neighborhood somewhere, but <laughs> never in any neighborhood that I've lived in have I seen a caroling. W- would you go caroling? No. <laughs> no. And even... I'm trying to think of something more awkward than you answering the door <laughs> and there's 10 or 12 white people out there <laughs> singing Christmas carols to you. You know that And Homer... you have to stand <laughs> no. there politely See, pretending it would to be, appreciate it. You know, it. that Homer Simpson gift where he like recedes into the shrubbery. <laughs> that <laughs> I'd like slowly close the door and just nope because I don't I don't like being sung no I know that's why I think it's and so I would now I want to see if I can arrange for some carolers to come to our house I cannot it would just it's like secondhand (laughs) embarrassment and I I would not be able to deal in that situation pour hot water on them (laughs) But we have gone to see it. We saw Carolers at the Bean one Christmas. We went to go see. Well, that's fine. If you know they're going to be there and you're going to them, right. yeah. then it's more yeah. like a concert. And it's like a choir, so you know that they can right. carry a tune. And that's in a public square where right. we can walk away exactly. when we've had enough. Yes. That's different than people coming yeah, to your no, no. door. That's that's a, I take that as a, <laughs> that's a violent act. I don't, <laughs> no. Okay. Oh, is a good childhood memory. The, the sitting on Santa's lap. I do not ever recall doing that. Never? And I, I was trying to think if I had ever seen a picture, because that's usually how we know that it happened, is that there's some picture of you Squalling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, Squalling and peeing on some... <laughs> I don't ever remember coming there. across a picture of me sitting on Santa's lap. And I also, knowing my mom, cannot imagine her standing in some that, ridiculously mm, long line so that I could sit on some damn that, Santa's that lap. That is difficult to picture. Yeah, can't. So I... Highly doubt that that happened. Okay, so what this, to me, what this list is becoming is a bucket list of things you still need to do. No, This is how to raise a child, is what I'm like, (laughs) don't do these things. You don't need them. 
Okay, well, let's segue into the important topic of pop culture. Okay. What Christmas specials do you watch every year? Charlie Brown Christmas. Every year. Every year. No fail. We mentioned Trading Places. That's one that I <laughs> I probably watch that every Christmas. Um, there have been newer editions. So um, the community episode where they do the claymation. Abed's Unforgettable yeah, Christmas. That's yes, that's a classic. one that I enjoy. Um I have to take a break for a while on It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Story just because yeah, no, it's, I just done them too much. Mm. And so it was like, I need to stop watching them for I'm a few st- years. I'm still on that break. So it's that I can appreciate that. <laughs> I also haven't watched Home Alone in a while. But Lion in Winter has become a mm. sort of classic for us. Love Actually. That's is, another one I need. A, I may need a break yeah, on. on that one. And it was always kind of a guilty pleasure, yeah. crappy sort of movie yeah. Yeah. to begin with. It was. It doesn't merit 24-hour marriage. <laughs> <laughs> it does not. So yeah, those are probably my sort of. We usually watch The Grinch if we catch it. Uh, I guess so. I don't remember watching The Grinch for a while, but okay. yeah. How about a favorite Christmas song? Donny Hathaway. This Christmas, <laughs> not even a not, not, just not. I don't even have to think about it. Donny Hathaway. This Christmas. Okay. Best Christmas song ever. I don't know how much consideration you've given to, you know, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. It's a terrible song. You have <laughs> shitty Christmas music taste. You also like that one, that song with the, um, what's that horrible television show? South Park. <laughs> South Park does have some good Christmas that's songs. Just, and it's offensive. I remember it being... Merry music. fucking Christmas. Yes. Yeah, terribly that's, offensive. Mm-hmm, that's, a, that's an excellent song. Um, you don't have good taste in music in general. My Christmas mix tends to be a mixture of the Christmas sacred and the profane. It is just... It gives me pause. Because um, <laughs> I like the hardcore and i'm you know i'm not remotely religious right but for some reason christmas music i like the hardcore you do like hardcore religious stuff i like god rest ye merry gentlemen Mm -hmm. it's probably my favorite christmas carol yeah save us all from satan's power like that's what it's all about don't give me this rocking around the christmas tree bullshit but you do i want some satan no but you do like and maybe you just like bummer shit but you also like what's that irish band are they even (laughs) the pogues Fairy tale of New York. So that's a bummer. Whereas I like good music that happens to be Christmas songs. So Donny Hathaway is just a good song. It happens to be a Christmas song, but it's also just a good song. James Brown, Santa Claus Goes Straight to the Ghetto. Go Straight to the Ghetto. Just yeah. an awesome song. <laughs> <laughs> My Christmas mix is much better than your Christmas mix. I don't know why you got to make it a competition. Because it is. It's important that people know. Now nobody's going to come to our house for Christmas. We have to, I mean, I think once we bridge, we usually... Combine. We usually do combine. And so and then you, have... you feel obligated to tell people whose songs yeah, are Because whose. I don't want people to think that I <laughs> picked that South Park song because I didn't. <laughs> Some of your stuff I like. Yours is the, um, is it John Denver and Rolf? Yes. That's doing a beautiful song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know. The Muppet Christmas album was a staple in our household. <laughs> okay. Well, having built up, I think, some appropriate Christmas spirit. Mm hmm. Let's go talk about this movie, which is not particularly Christmas-related at all. I was overwhelmed by by the fact that it was such a a terrific script. And as a matter of fact, it won Best Picture, Best Script, and Best Direction uh, the next year at the Oscars. Um, I couldn't believe that Billy had done Some Like It Hot, and then just when that's through, he hands me the apartment and says, this is our next one. And I read it, and I just, it was one of the best scripts I've ever read. Another thing I I loved about The Apartment, now that I think back, was the fact that there were so many faults in the characters. Billy was never afraid. Uh, As a matter of fact, he would seemingly go out of his way 
to manifest the faults within characters, because we all are faulted. You know, I never have understood, nor has Billy, why it was classified as a comedy. We, we have to classify, we put tags on everything. It's a comedy, it's a musical, or it's a drama. And uh, how that could be a drama, uh, or not a drama, I don't know, because it's a serious film. Okay, so what, if anything, do you know about this movie, The Apartment? Uh, I don't know anything about The Apartment. I think you told me it involves men using basically a flop house to have affairs. <laughs> so. I think you added the flop house part. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Okay, so the year is 1960, uh, directed by the great Billy Wilder, written by Wilder and his frequent collaborator, Izzy Diamond. And at this point, I am pretty sure, I'd have to do the math on this, but I'm pretty sure we've done more Wilder movies for The Unenthusiastic Critic than anybody else. Because <laughs> we did Some Like It Hot. Yes. We watched Double Indemnity, mm-hmm. and we watched Sunset Boulevard. Okay. And I think the other movie of his you've seen is Sabrina. Yes. And this is miraculous, but I think you like all of those movies. I think I did enjoy all those movies. Okay, so you were a Billy Wilder fan. I'm not going to go that far, but <laughs> I didn't, you know. Or, alternately, you're due to hate one. <laughs> it's time. That seems more likely now mm-hmm. that I think about it. Okay, so this was the first movie he made after Some Like It Hot. And like that one, it stars Jack Lemon. And I think Some Like It Hot is actually, a th- I think it's good we did it first. I think it's important to this conversation because, as you may re- remember, we talked about how that was one of the movies that sort of broke the back of the Hayes Code, mm-hmm. the self-regulatory censorship code that the studio system labored under during the 40s and 50s. The Hayes Code said that you could never present crime or immorality in a positive light and that bad people had to be punished. It said, for example, you, no one could get away with murder. Murders had to be punished at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, religion and patriotism had to be respected and could not be mocked. Drug and alcohol use were very carefully regulated. Nudity and overt references to sexual behavior were absolutely forbidden. And stories had to respect the sanctity of marriage. Topics considered perverse could not be discussed or depicted in any way. And this included such topics as homosexuality, miscegenation, bestiality, and venereal diseases. That's an interesting list. Okay. (laughs) Not inclusive. Right, yeah. And the code had been losing its grip on Hollywood throughout the 50s, and then Some Like It Hot had been one of the final nails in the coffin. The Hayes office objected to it because of its cross-dressing, the sexuality, the gender fluidity, Mm -hmm. and Wilder released it without their seal of approval, and nobody cared. It was still a big hit, and that was pretty much the end of the production code. His money trumps all. Right. So this was the first movie he made after that. He had had the idea to make this movie in the 40s, but knew he could never have made it under the Hayes Code. He said he got the idea from a brief scene in David Lean's 1945 film Brief Encounter, in which two lovers, who are both married to other people, meet in the borrowed apartment of a friend. Mm -hmm. And Wilder said he started wondering about the kind of guy that loans his apartment out for this purpose. And that was the seed of the apartment. There were other inspirations. In the 50s, there was a scandal in which Hollywood agent Jennings Lang was having an affair with actress Joan Bennett. And her husband, producer Walter Wanger, shot Jennings Lang. Didn't kill him, but shot him. And so this became a big scandal. 
And as the story came out, it turned out that Lang had been meeting Bennett in the apartment of one of his subordinates at the talent agency he worked at. Hmm. And again, that's the genesis for, for the apartment. But again, this was this was not a movie he could have made under the Hayes Code. Right. According to the widow of actor Paul Douglas, uh, Wilder had wanted Douglas to play the part that Fred McMurray plays in the movie, but Douglas passed away before he could. But she says that the way Wilder described the movie to Douglas was, I want to make a movie about fucking. You know, good to have a strong thesis. Exactly. So this was the movie he made. It stars Jack Lemmon, uh, Shirley MacLaine. I don't know if you've seen anything with Shirley MacLaine, have you? Uh, oh, you have. You've seen Steel Magnolias. Yes. Drink your juice, Shelby. <laughs> yes. Is that it? That may be it. You haven't seen Terms of Endearment, which no. is her other big later movie. Yeah. Okay. And then, as I said, Fred McMurray, who we saw in Double Indemnity. Mm-hmm. This movie was a huge hit. It was nominated for 10 Oscars and won five. Editing, art direction, screenplay, director, and best picture. Wilder actually became the first person in history to walk away with three trophies that night. It's number 20 on the AFI list of the 100 Best American Comedies and number 44 on the Sight and Sound Director's Poll of the Greatest Movies of All Time. And I think one of the, I think one of the conversations we'll have it, it is considered one of the greatest American comedies. I'm not sure it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. And Jack Lemmon said that too. He said he was never completely sure why it was classified as a comedy hmm. because it's actually got a lot of dramatic material in it. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's it's almost like a drama with the tone of a comedy or with a comedic lead, but we'll, we'll see what you think of it. Okay. But I do think this is what makes it an interesting Christmas movie, too, is that it's kind of a downer. It's kind of about being lonely at Christmas. Hmm. These um, are people who are cheating on their wives at Christmas, so they're not... Well, the main character is the guy whose apartment people are using to okay. cheat. He's not the one cheating. Oh, so he's lonely. He's... Right. I see. Right. Those are the others have... An abundance of company. So, shouldn't you be buying your kids gifts? But, all right. And this is what Roger Ebert talked about. He, he gave it four stars. It's on his great movies list. He said, there's a melancholy gulf over the holidays between those who have someplace to go and those who do not. The apartment is so affecting partly because of that buried reason. It takes place on the shortest days of the year when dusk falls swiftly and the streets are cold. When after the office party, some people go home to their families and others go home to apartments where they haven't even bothered to put up a tree. On Christmas Eve, more than any other night of the year, the lonely person feels robbed of something that was there in childhood and isn't there anymore. So I thought this would be a very happy movie Super for us to cheery. start a holiday yeah. season off with. <laughs> I think it's a great movie. I think it's, as always, Wilder's camera work is fan- very simple, but just brilliant. The writing is witty, as always. And I think, actually, Shirley MacLaine makes this movie. Hmm. Uh, but we will see what you think. Okay. Okay, let's go watch it. For those of you watching along at home, The Apartment is available to rent on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and the other streaming services. Ingredient number one, a very warm, very wonderful story about a boy, a girl, and a very special kind of problem. Did you hear what I said, Miss Kubelik? I absolutely adore you. Shut up and deal. Ingredient number two. A brilliant cast. Jack Lemon in a delightful role which gives full reign to Jack's amazing versatility. Shirley MacLaine, whose glowing warmth lights up the screen like a Christmas tree. Fred McMurray. This is a Fred McMurray you've never seen before. 
You know, you see a girl a couple of times a week just for laughs, and by the way, they think you're going to divorce your wife. <laughs> I ask you, is that, is that fair? No, sir, it's very unfair, especially to your wife. Yeah. Ingredient number three, Billy Wilder. There's nothing quite like that Billy Wilder, some like it hot kind of laughter. Are we dressing for dinner? You know, just come as you are. So you're pretty good with that racket. You should see my backhand. Where'd you see me serve the meatballs? <laughs> Mildred, he's at it again. And we're back. During the break, Nikia and I watched The Apartment. Nikia, let's start with the important question. This is a film about infidelity, loneliness, predatory men, and suicide. Mm -hmm. So, Christmas movie? Sure, why not? <laughs> I mean, isn't Christmas and New Year's sort of the peak season for suicide? I believe it is, yes. So, I mean, it's on theme. <laughs> okay, so you, you endorse this as a Christmas movie. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and then the other question, is it a comedy? <laughs> it is a dramedy at best. Okay, dramedy. I dislike that word, yeah. but I will accept it here. Uh, it's a very inelegant portmanteau. Yeah, I mean, it's funny... It's funny in the way that life is tragically funny. <laughs> so, yeah. So what did you make of this one? <sighs> always the sigh. You always start with the sigh. <laughs> I liked it. I, I liked it. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if, if it was I liked the film or if I liked elements of the film. And I think I, I liked the film. Okay. I don't know that I would ever need to watch it again. Hmm. I think... Shirley MacLaine makes the movie for me. She's fabulous. And Jack Lemmon's character, Baxter, and your tolerance for that character yeah, I is heavily dependent on your love of Jack Lemmon and his sort of shtick. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I am fully there. I had a feeling you were going to have some trouble with that character. Yeah. And that's part of that is just my experience of watching movies with you mm -hmm. where you don't think the guy who the movie thinks deserves the girl <laughs> necessarily deserves the girl. I don't. No. And I, I had a hunch that was going to come up in this one. Well, and he's also, I mean, if if that character weren't be, being played by Jack Lemmon, mm -hmm. it would be very easy to hate that character. It would. But Jack Lemmon is very good. He is very good. I, um, I was marveling this time at how good Jack Lemmon is. Mm -hmm. Just as an old acting term, stage business, or they, you know, the guy does a bit of business, mm -hmm. and it means like just the physical things that he does. Mm -hmm. And I think Jack Lemon could do business better than anyone who has ever lived. Yes, his bit with the sinus spray, mm -hmm. stuff like that, mm -hmm. with the spaghetti. Like you give Jack Lemon a bit of business, and he can occupy the screen. Yeah, yeah. No, he's sort of a kinetic presence. I think I probably have a little less patience for that sort of thing mm. than most. Totally appreciate it as it is absolutely an art. 
but I think my patience for it wears a little bit thin because it it starts to feel a little hammy and I don't I'm not I don't that's just not the thing that resonates with me in film right and again it's at the end of the day Baxter was kind of an asshole so I'm almost like resentful of of Jack Lemon making me even remotely okay <laughs> with that character so yeah Okay, so let's let's go through this a little bit. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of the movie, Jack Lemmon is C.C. Baxter. He's a low-level clerk working for this huge insurance firm. Mm-hmm. 31,000 people, they say, work in that building. And I do love, I, I think we need to give a nod to the production designer, the art director, uh, Alexander Trounder. The sets in this movie are fantastic, mm-hmm. and that office set is brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's just row after row of these desks. It was not as big as it looked. They did tricks with perspective on that so that the desks get smaller and smaller mm-hmm. as it goes towards the back, and there were dwarves and children oh manning the desks in the back to make it look like this space just goes on forever. It's really very clever. But yeah, so he's a, he's a low-level schnook. People keep calling him a schnook. Yeah. And his one advantage in the firm seems to be that he has his own apartment. Mm -hmm. And there's four executives in the firm who are taking advantage of that to have their... Extramarital affairs. Their extramarital affairs in Jack Lemmon's apartment. Yes. Uh, you, You had a problem with this? I mean, it's sort of a dick move. I mean, obviously, the main culprits are the gentlemen engaging in the extramarital affairs. But, you know, Baxter is an enabler. Um, yes. In the hopes that it will result in a promotion up the corporate ladder, which apparently he can't or isn't interested in, you know, Earning. attaining <laughs> on his merits. So, which, you know, well, everybody works. Everybody's got to hustle. Totally get yeah. it. I think the problem for me becomes when he is all of a sudden sort of indignant about the situation <laughs> only because it involves a woman he's interested in. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, that just would have gone on forever uh, until he became, like, president of the company or something. So. <laughs> Nobody seems to actually care whether he does a good job at his no. work or anything. That's no, not, it's not about that's that. That's not important. It's about access to the apartment. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, recognize any of the, these are the, the four bad apples, uh, Sheldrake later calls them. Did you recognize yes. any of those guys? One of them is the boss from Bewitched, isn't he? Oh, was he the boss from Bewitched? Oh, maybe. maybe. I may have gotten that wrong. Hold on. Yep. It was the same guy? It's the same guy. I didn't even recognize him. Mm-hmm. Okay. But one of them is Mr. Hand from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, God, that was. <laughs> yes, it Ray absolutely Walston. was. <laughs> so, yeah, he's. I mean, he's basically running a free hotel mm-hmm. for illicit affairs. Which raises the question, <laughs> all these gentlemen, I imagine, are fairly well compensated. They seem to be making a fairly good living. Why didn't they? Just get hotel rooms. Get a hotel room. That's a good question. It does seem like a lot more trouble than it's worth to do it this way. Having said that, though, there was one of them who is at the apartment with his lady of the night. Um, (laughs) And that's not even to say, like, she was a sex worker. It means, like, she was the lady for that particular night. Um, But she says something to the effect that he, like, asks her where she lives, and she's like, I live in the Bronx. Yes. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I'll drive you to the fucking train. Right. He says, I'll drop you at the subway. And she's like, bitch, you're going to give me a cab. (laughs) So they could also just be cheap bastards. They are apparently cheap bastards. Who don't want to pay for hotel rooms. He's not even willing to pay for a cab to take her home. 
room. So. And I was thinking maybe, I mean, I guess if you're in a hotel, there's more chance someone else is going to see you. I mean, who I guess would that's... see you in a hotel? It's worse. It's like the restaurants are dangerous. I wouldn't think a hotel would be yeah. particularly risky. And this is pre-like wife looking at your credit card statement <laughs> time. So I don't know what the big deal would have been. Okay. So not only are they infidels, they are also um cheap. Can you use infidel that way? I've never I thought about know. that before. I that's don't not know. how that's usually used. No, it but isn't. But I'm someone who commits infidelity I'm should be an infidel. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I like that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's barely he barely gets one of them out before another one calls mm-hmm. up and needs the apartment. Mm-hmm. And he accommodates them. Yes. He goes out in the cold and sits in the park and waits for them to be done. Yes. Mr. Hand takes up a woman that he says looks like Marilyn Monroe, though she, she does, not. does not. She sort of sounds like Marilyn Monroe, which I think was Billy Wilder getting a mean dig in at the actual oh. Marilyn Monroe, who he had worked with mm-hmm. on a seven-year like itch yeah. and, and some like it hot. Interesting. Uh, Marilyn apparently wanted to play Miss Kubelik in this movie and told her no. Mm. Hello. Hiya, buddy boy. I'm in this bar on 61st Street and I got to thinking about you and I figured I'd give you a little buzz. Well, that's very nice of you, but uh, who is this? Dobish. Joe Dobish in administration. Oh, yeah, Mr. Dobish. I didn't recognize your voice. That's okay, buddy boy. Now, like I was saying, I'm in this joint on 61st, and uh, I think I got lucky. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Dobish. I like to help you fellas out, but it's sort of late, so why don't we uh, make it some other time? Listen, kid, I can't pass this up. She looks like Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> I'm already in bed, and I've taken a sleeping pill, so I'm afraid the answer is no. Look, Baxter, we're making out the monthly efficiency rating, and I'm putting you in the top ten. Now, uh, you don't want to lock yourself up, do you? Of course not, but how can I be efficient in the office if I don't get enough sleep at night? It's only 11, and I just want the place for 45 minutes. I'm getting lonely. Who are you talking to, anyway? My mother. Oh, that's sweet. That's real sweet. Make it 30 minutes. Okay, so all of this is going on, and then he is also flirting, sort of flirting, with... Awkwardly flirting. Miss Kubelik. Right. The elevator operator, played by Shirley MacLaine. Tell Mm -hmm. me about Miss Kubelik. Miss Kubelik is quick and smart and funny and... A realist, even though she allows herself to fall into something that she knows isn't real. Yes. She says at one point she has a talent for falling in love with the wrong man at the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. Much like yourself. Yes. (laughs) Been there, done that. (laughs) But it it is a great performance. It's sad, but we like her. Mm Mm-hmm. Even though she makes bad decisions and knows that about herself. Why this Kubrick? That's all. Take it away. Watch the door, please. Blasting off. What did you do to your hair? It was making me nervous, so I chopped it off. Big mistake, huh? No, I don't like it. You've got a Lulu. Huh? Yeah, better not get too close. And I never catch colds. Really? I was reading some figures from the Sickness and Accident Claims Division. Do you know that the average New Yorker between the ages of 20 and 50 has two and a half colds a year? Huh. Now that makes me feel just terrible. Why? Well, to make the figures come out even, if I have no colds a year, some poor slob must have five colds a year. Yeah, it's me. Should have stayed in bed this morning. 
He should have stayed in bed last night. But it's it's really an oddly sweet, endearing performance. It is a well, and that role could have easily been sort of played as like a dumb sort of. Well, that's it. If you imagine yeah. Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. in that part, that's what it would have been. Yeah, just sort of easily duped. And yeah. I don't. And she isn't. I mean, she is in it with eyes wide open mm-hmm. for the most part, and is just sort of willing herself to believe that it could be more, knowing that it isn't going to be, and knowing that she is attracted to trash ass men. Mm-hmm. She she has a lot of good lines. She has some wonderful lines throughout the film. Yeah, I mean, I it was her more than anyone in the movie that I thought sort of just sort of ran away with She's the a, film. You know, why do people have to fall in love with people yeah. anyway? <laughs> and then she has a line that's something about if you're dating a married man, you shouldn't wear mascara mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a great scene where Sheldrake, is that the asshole's name? Yes, yeah, so that's Fred McMurray, yes. who's sort of the big boss. Sheldrake is with her at the apartment, and it's Christmas, and she gives him an album of the record of the piano player that's plays the piano at their local sort of hideout spot restaurant mm-hmm. and he gives her a hundred dollar bill yeah he's like oh i didn't get you anything but here's a hundred dollars and she sort of gets up and starts to take off her coat and begins undressing and she's like well since you've paid for it and it's yeah. this really just heartbreaking yeah, no, that moment. is such a hard scene yeah so i just she's phenomenal yeah oh i have a present for you i i didn't quite know what to get you besides it's kind of awkward for me shopping so uh, here's a hundred dollars you go and buy yourself something huh They have some nice alligator bags at Burgdorf's. Look, Fran, I didn't realize it was so late. It's quarter to seven. I mustn't miss my train. If we hadn't wasted all this time, I have to get home and trim the tree. Okay. I just thought as long as it was paid for... Don't ever talk like that, Fran. Don't make yourself out to be cheap. Hundred dollars? I don't call that cheap. And you must be paying somebody something for the use of the apartment. Stop it, Fran. You'll miss your train, Jeff. Okay, so you mentioned Sheldrake, so this is this is when the story really kicks into motion, is when Sheldrake decides he wants to use the apartment. Mm-hmm. And, again, promising Baxter promotion Mm -hmm. and advancement. Mm -hmm. And Baxter's more than willing to accommodate him. Yep. But then he finds out that Sheldrake is, in fact, seeing Miss Kubelik. Yes. And then all of a sudden the arrangement isn't working. Right. He thinks it's horrible. So the way he finds out is actually great because he had found Miss Kublik's compact in his right, couch. He had found a compact. A, a, a compact in his couch. After Sheldrake had used the apartment. Right. And it was, the mirror was cracked yeah. in half. Um, and then at a very debaucherous office party. <laughs> That's practically an orgy, Jesus, that Christmas party. All kinds of HR problems <laughs> going on there. Um, <laughs> like, made Madman look pretty tame, yeah. actually. Although um, there was no lawnmower. Which is a bum. I mean, the lawnmower is just <laughs> fantastic. I would go to my office parties if we could have a lawnmower run someone's foot over. But she hands him the compact, and he sees that the mirror... Right, Jack Lemmon's trying on yeah. his new bowler hat mm-hmm. that he thinks makes him look like a junior executive Mm -hmm. and she hands him the compact and he realizes it's the same one because the mirror is cracked and she has another you know another great line that's a fantastic scene are you sure this is the right way to wear this i think so here you don't think it's tilted a little too much i mean after all this is a conservative firm i don't want people to think i'm an entertainer
mirror. It's broken. Yes, I know. I like it that way. Makes me look the way I feel. It is. Because she has also just been talking to Miss Olsen. Sheldrick's secretary. Sheldrick's secretary, Mm -hmm. who was the previous... Fling. Fling. Mm Ring-a-ding. Ring-a-ding. Fling. Miss Olsen has, you know, opened her eyes to the fact that she's just one in a long line of people that this guy has been promising he's going to divorce his wife for. Mm -hmm. Hi! As the branch manager from Kansas City. I beg your pardon? I'm Miss Olsen, Mr. Sheldrake's secretary. Yes, I know. So you don't have to play innocent with me. He used to tell his wife I was the branch manager from Seattle four years ago when we were having a little ring-a-ding-ding. Oh, I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. Just before me, there was Miss Rossi in auditing, and after me, there was Miss Koch in disability, and right before you was a Miss, um, oh, what's her name, uh, on the 25th floor. Would you excuse me? What for? You haven't done anything. It's him. Oh, what a salesman. Always the last booth in the Chinese restaurant, and the same pitch about divorcing his wife. <laughs> and... In the end, you wind up with egg foo young on your face. So yeah, that scene with Jack Lemmon, she is, I mean, she's barely even listening to him yeah. because she's just has been kind of shattered by what Miss Olsen has told her. And then she hands him the compact. He's doing his Jack Lemmon happy antic thing. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes that from the compact that she's sleeping with Sheldrake and then he's shattered. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really, really good scene. Mm-hmm. She has another one of those sad lines there where she... He says the mirror is cracked, and she says... uh, She likes it that way because it's how she feels. Right, it makes me look the way I feel, which is just sad. Yeah. What did did you think of Sheldrake, the stand-up guy? He's a good guy. I mean, he's a douchebag. He's a a guy we're rooting for. Not at all. He's not even particularly (laughs) handsome. (laughs) Fred McMurray? To be pulling this much tail? No, (laughs) he's not. Yeah, no, he's... Yeah, he's an asshole. And... It's just the cliche cheater, you know, oh, I'm definitely going to leave my wife, but it's not the right time to leave my wife and all mm. the kids are in school and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's, he's That's pretty, what he says to her, and then yeah. to everyone else he says... Well, you know how it is. Sooner or later they always give you a bad time. Oh, I know how it is. You know, you see a girl a couple of times a week just for laughs, and right away they think you're going to divorce your wife. Well, she thinks that because you told right. her Well, because he's a fucking sleazeball. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a pretty... Odious. And then at the end of the movie, after his wife has found out and thrown him out, and he's reunited with Miss Kubelik, Mm -hmm. Jack Lemon says to him, you know, Miss Kubelik should be married to someone. I think, you know, I want her to be happy or something. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, yeah, eventually, but I'm going to enjoy being a bachelor for a while. (laughs) Yeah, he's, he's a dick. Yeah, terrible person. But it doesn't sound like you like Baxter much better. Because, again, the only thing that... The only... He became a good guy when it personally affected him. I mean, we don't see him be a bad guy. He is enabling some pretty shitty behavior. He's loaning his apartment out for yes, other people that do shitty things. For professional advancements. He himself... Still... Does not... So he's okay with all these other women being treated like shit. Well, but yeah. when it's a woman that he wants to be with, then it becomes a moral issue. Actually, the one woman we see him pick up, he treats her like treats trash. Like right. So... <laughs> and for me, what is almost a movie-stealing performance mm. by Hope Holiday mm-hmm. <laughs> as this bar fly yeah. that he picks up. Can I ask you a personal question? No. You got a girlfriend? She may be a girl. She has no friend of mine. 
still stuck on her, huh? Stuck on her? Obviously, you do not know me very well. I don't know you at all. Permit me. C.C. Baxter, junior executive, Arthur Murray graduate, lover. I'm Mrs. McDougal. Margie to you. So, I mean, yeah, he's maybe not, you know, chaotic evil. Maybe he's just neutral evil. I don't know. <laughs> but he's evil. just, it, it's, he's not a stand-up dude. No. Um, and even after Miss Kubelik takes the, the sleeping pills and attempts suicide, he's trying to sort of cover up for Shell Drake the whole time. He doesn't want her to call her family. Well, that's, okay, so let's talk about that. Because that's, that whole aspect of his character is interesting. Mm-hmm. Because even before all of that, his his next door neighbors, mm-hmm. um, this is Doc Doctor Dreyfus and his wife. Mm-hmm. They think Baxter is this great playboy because they hear the sounds through the walls of him having sex. Who they think is him mm-hmm. having sex every night, sometimes with two or three different women in the same night, mm-hmm. and he lets them think that. Yes, like he doesn't say, "Oh no, my friends are using the apartment." He says, "No, it's you know." He 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 likes having that reputation mm-hmm. of being the great lover. And then, like you said, then he does, he covers for Sheldrake. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, after she takes a bunch of sleeping pills in his apartment, he still keeps pretending that it was because they were in a relationship together. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure there's any real reason for him to do that. I mean, so you could read it probably a couple of different ways, and maybe it is all these things at once. One is, again, project, protecting Sheldrake so that no one makes the connection that the, those two were having an affair. Because if she tells the police and they and Sheldrake's name gets is involved, then right. it won't take much for his wife to find out. He could also, in the, the same vein, be trying to protect her from being known as Sheldrake's mistress. I guess that's true. Possibly. Yeah. Well, okay, so that was my question then. Is, yeah. are, is this all a good this is him being a good guy i think it's him i think it's complicated because i do think part of it is his wanting to protect sheldrake which is not i mean not honorable not as far honorable. as you're concerned at, the, at this point this is the man that drove her to commit to, to attempt suicide right so why do you give a shit about this person other than again your job mm-hmm. and the the third piece of it, which felt a little bit gross to me, and maybe I'm reading into it, is it felt as if he was enjoying the fact that she had to be there. Like, she yeah, couldn't that, go. Yeah, that element there. is a little troubling. Yeah. And even before that, when they're first just getting to know each other, he knows everything about yeah, her. Yeah, he's, like, looked up her insurance Because he's looked up all everything. of her yeah. information yeah. in the insurance files. Yeah. How do you know where I live? Oh. I you know who you live with. Sister, brother-in-law. I know when you were born and where. I know all sorts of things about you. How come? Oh, a couple of months ago, I looked up your card in the group insurance file. <laughs> I know your height, said your weight, and your social security number. You had bumps and measles, <laughs> and you had your appendix out. Don't mention the appendix to the fellas in the office, okay? I wouldn't want them to get the wrong idea about how you found out. Hi. Which is a little creepy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A little stalkery. Yeah. Which is when we get into these, like, troubling cinematic tropes, right, of, like, the quote-unquote nice guy Mm -hmm. who is nice but is just this side of too aggressive, just this side of too entitled that makes it 
predatory almost in a in a really benign way but it's just it's there movies have taught us since the beginning that right. stalkerism right. Is, is a good thing. is romantic right well and and i realized watching this have you ever have you heard the the fact the like the trope of the baxter like that's a film yes. trope mm-hmm. of just like the nice guy who gets passed over for yeah. the more handsome more charismatic more whatever guy and it, it, it it's it's like the sort of stuff that feeds and this is like traveling way down this path of like <laughs> incels and stuff like that, which yeah, is like no. that sort of that makes me very uncomfortable. Uh, I, don't, I mean, yeah, I don't think yeah. I don't think that interpretation is extreme. Mm-hmm. I think that is in this movie mm-hmm. fairly consciously. I think mm-hmm. um, because I think. One of the things people talk about with this movie is that it it came out a few years after Playboy debuted. Okay. And Playboy sort of spread this notion that all men should be living like this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That that's the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And we actually see here it's it's a very brief scene. I didn't even catch it the first time through, but early in the movie he is reading a Playboy in bed and he puts it aside oh, just off I the screen. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. So there is a sense in which he as- aspires mm-hmm. to that lifestyle, which is I why think. he lets his neighbors think that it's him. Right. Yeah. Right. But then, yeah, he is the guy that's too, quote unquote, nice. Mm -hmm. And she even says at one point, you know, why can't I fall in love with a nice guy like you? Which is the the whole incel narrative, Mm -hmm. right? That's Mm -hmm. the, you know. Yeah. Women always like the assholes. They never fall for a nice guy like me. And it's like, well, maybe you're not that nice a guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's let's back up and talk about that suicide scene because that is sort of the heart of the movie. Yeah. So this is after, it's it's Christmas Eve. Yes. And this is where she's given Sheldrake the present. He's given her the $100, mm-hmm. which I think is what pushes her yeah. over the edge when she realizes, basically, I'm a hooker. That's yeah. how this guy thinks of me. Yeah. They're in Baxter's apartment. He leaves her there. She doesn't know it's Baxter's apartment. Right. But she finds sleeping pills in the cabinet and takes the sleeping pills. Mm-hmm. And then this is after the office Christmas party, so Baxter is upset, so he's gone out and gotten very drunk and picked up. Mrs. McDougal, played by Hope Holiday, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very funny scene. Mm-hmm. I think she's fantastic. Yeah, so he, he takes her home, and he again is doing the whole playboy, I'm a great lover, mm-hmm. I gotta warn you, you're in the apartment of a great sex pot, he says. <laughs> And she's all for it, and then he finds Miss Kubelik in the bedroom. Yes. Almost dead. Yes. And has to throw poor Mrs. McDougal out. And this is where it starts. There I, I think that if you haven't already asked, it's that that's the point in the movie where we're like, Am I watching a comedy? Because <laughs> this is pretty dark. <laughs> The uh, the suicide attempt apparently was inspired by a friend of Billy Wilder's who broke up with his girlfriend and then came home to find her dead in the bathtub. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a Penny Lane moment. Um. <laughs> that It's funny you say that because Cameron Crowe wrote a whole book-length interview, or a series of interviews that was a book with mm-hmm. Billy Wilder. Oh, and he talks about what an influence Billy Wilder was on him. And I thought I hadn't made that association, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of almost famous. Yeah. You can see the influence of the apartment on that movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's almost the exact scene of, yeah. of you know, having to pump Penny's stomach and then walk her around so that she yeah. doesn't fall asleep. So it's very, yeah, reminiscent yeah. of. So, yes, he has to call his next door neighbor, Doc, who comes in and is very judgmental. Yes. as As he should be. Because he thinks... He thinks Baxter got in a fight with Miss Kubelik, mm-hmm. left her in the apartment, went, went out up some and other picked chick. up this other chick <laughs> and brought her back home. Yeah. 
and then found that she had tried to kill herself. Yes. And he lets and he lets him think that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to report this, do you? It's regulations. Well, she didn't mean it. It was an accident. She had a little too much to drink. She didn't know what she was doing. There was no suicide note or anything. Believe me, Doc, I'm not thinking about myself. Aren't you? It's just, she's got a family, and there's the people at the office. Look, Doc, can't you forget you're a doctor? Let's just say you're here as a neighbor. Well, as a doctor, I guess I can't prove it wasn't an accident. But as your neighbor, I'd like to kick your keys to clear around the block. Mind if I cool this off? Mm, yeah, I'll be so. I don't know what you did to that girl in there, and don't tell me. But it was bound to happen the way you carry on. Live now, pay later, diners club. Why don't you grow up, Baxter? Be a mensch. You know what that means? I'm not sure. A mensch, a human being. Again, protecting both Sheldrake and Miss Kublik. But yeah, that that scene does not pull any punches. No, I was actually surprised at how sort of explicit it was, even to the point of, like, you hear her vomiting as they're pumping her stomach um, and and sort of trying to walk her around. So, yeah. He he hits her, he slaps her across the face five or six, the doctor does. (laughs) Yeah, to get her to wake Um, up. And I read that that he was actually hitting Shirley McLean. Oh, goodness. And that then they showed that scene to medical consultants or whatever, and they said, actually, he should have been hitting her a lot harder than oh, that. Oh, God. <laughs> and Billy Wilder said, well, we're not going to make her do it again because <laughs> that was bad enough the first time. <laughs> and she, as she's coming out of her thing, she's so confused. Yeah, as you would be. Because Baxter's there. She didn't even know this was Baxter's apartment. Mm-hmm. And then he's lying to the doctor saying we had this lover's quarrel. And she's like, what the fuck is yeah. going on? Yeah. And then, yeah, then we have this period of what you seem to think is, you know, this kind of Stockholm Syndrome hostage Well, it's weird because he's almost situation. like in this, having this moment of like marital bliss with her, yeah. pretend sort of relationship. And it's just like. This well, is- he says, I mean, again, it's Christmas. And yeah. he says, I'm usually alone on yeah. Christmas. Last Christmas, I, you know. But this is a woman who's been through a very traumatic experience. Well, okay. He's not hitting on her. Let's be fair to He's him. not. But he He's is- not hitting on her. He's not taking advantage of her I in think any he way. is engaged. Engaging in a little bit of a fantasy of having her there. Uh, sure. Well, I mean, he already liked her. He'd yes. already passed her out. Yes. So, yeah, he's happy to have her there. He's mm-hmm. happy to take care of They're her. They're making the spaghetti, and it's a little moment. <laughs> yes, with his and, tennis racket, yeah, which is a so, famous moment. Yes. but So, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, but he's not a total dick. No, he's not a total dick. He's, I'm just, yeah. yeah. I do think, though, that there is that kind of ambiguity in everything he does Mm -hmm. because he sort of tries to reassure her about Sheldrake. He tries to call Sheldrake up and say, hey, this girl tried to kill herself. You should come in here and Mm -hmm. take care of her. Sheldrake is not. No. (laughs) He has no interest in doing that. No. He's out in the country having his Christmas morning with his kids Mm -hmm. and he doesn't care. No. And it's obvious that he doesn't care, but Jack Lemon pretends to her that Sheldrake was way more concerned than he actually was. Well, because he doesn't want her to sort of spiral. Right. Well, that's the thing. Is it, is this, is he doing this for Sheldrake mm-hmm. or is he doing it for her because he wants her to be happy and doesn't want her to I think it's both and. I think he's playing both sides. Mm-hmm. I think he still wants 
Because it's against his own interests. Yes. He's he's interested in Miss Kubelik. Yeah. He could be saying, Sheldrake's a shit, you deserve better, mm-hmm. all of that. He doesn't do that. No. So I, I guess I'm asking, is that a good Again, I think it's both hands. Part, so, or is... No, he doesn't want to hurt her because he's a, he realizes how sort of precarious her situation is at the moment. But then, too, he's also still trying to sort of work this professional connection and not, you know, totally jeopardize everything that he's worked mm-hmm. for. So not... Totally decent. <laughs> Not completely evil. I like the scene where he goes in his bathroom and hides all the razor yeah. blades mm-hmm. and takes the razor blade out of his razor. Mm-hmm. And then, like, 20 minutes later in the movie, he's shaving and he runs the... the and forgets that he took the razor He, he forgets out. that yeah. he took the razor. It's a good gag yeah. set up. You, you'd forgotten that he took the razor blades out mm-hmm. and then he's shaving. He's like, why isn't this working? <laughs> and it, again, it's just a tiny little moment yeah. that, that Wilder throws in there. There's a lot of that stuff. But they are bonding during this prolonged hostage crisis. You have to entertain me, Mr. Baxter. There's nothing I'd like better. No, uh, togetherness. Guess what I did last Christmas? Had an early dinner at the Automat, went to the zoo, and then I came home and cleaned up after Mr. Reichelberger. He had a little eggnog party here. So I'm way ahead this year. Uh, Three across, spades double, high deals. Six, eight. I think I'm going to give it all up. Give what up? Why do people have to love people anyway? I know what you mean. Did you buy the love story? I don't know that she fell in love. Hmm. Okay. I think she's interested in being friends. (laughs) Well, uh... (laughs) Spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, she comes back to him. She ditches Sheldrake. But it's not like they... And runs across town to him. But they don't kiss or anything. On New Year's Eve, which is a trope we've seen. He, like, professes his love and he's like, I really, you know, I'm totally crazy about you. I love you. And she's like, shut up and deal. But that, oh, come on. That's one of the greatest last lines of any movie. It is of someone who's like, you're a friend. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not saying that's forever, but I think in the immediate... And again... Uh, if were I Miss Kublik's friend, I would say it's probably not a good idea to jump into a relationship with someone else at this moment, <laughs> given that you just had your stomach pumped over some other dude. So it would be a good move to just maybe be friends with him for a minute. But yeah, I don't, I didn't, no. And she could just do better. <laughs> but she, she could do better, yeah. actually, yeah. Yeah. Besides the fact that he doesn't have a job. No, oh, that's true. He did just get fired, or he quit, actually. Yes. Yeah, okay, so let's talk about how that comes about. So, what happens? Her brother-in-law shows up mm-hmm. looking for her because she hasn't been home in two days. And again, Baxter lets the brother-in-law believe that it's all his fault. Mm-hmm. There's a really dark line there, which I hadn't noticed. The doctor is there, or so there's some reference to the doctor. And the brother-in-law was like, doctor, what's going on here? And Baxter says, no, no, not that kind of doctor. So the brother-in-law thought they brought the doctor in for an abortion. Mm, yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the brother-in-law is pissed off. And, and then, yes, yeah, so that's that's when Miss Kubelik leaves the apartment. Mm-hmm. And then at work, we find out Sheldrake has, he's got all his luggage in his office because he's been thrown out by his wife. Mm-hmm. 
because Miss Olsen has finally had enough of this bullshit and went and ratted him out. Yeah. Um, and he just fires her, which again, there's all kinds of HR problems. Yeah, it's a huge problem. Going on here. Miss Olsen is actually the hero of this film. She is, and she's actually great. That was uh, Edie Adams. Thank you for giving that little pep talk to Miss Kublik at the office party. Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. You know, I never could hold my liquor. Well, I thought you could hold your tongue. It won't happen again. You bet it won't. I'll arrange for you to get a month's severance pay. That's right, Miss Olsen, I'm letting you go. You let me go four years ago, Jeff. Well, you were cruel enough to make me sit out there and watch the new models pass by. I'd appreciate it if you'd be out of here as soon as you can. Yes, Mr. Sheldrake. But then, so Sheldrake is ready to take Miss Kubelik back at that point, Mm -hmm. even though Baxter has decided he wants to marry her. But Baxter is rewarded with his big promotion to the 27th floor. He's now an executive... None of the titles make any sense. (laughs) It seems like he's just an assistant on a higher floor. Yeah, I think his title was like administrative <laughs> yeah. assistant, which maybe that meant something different sure. than, than it does now. He has, he, but they've they've moved him into the adjoining office to Sheldrake, mm-hmm. so he can be Sheldrake's literally his right hand man. Mm-hmm. And even that, he seems fine with yeah. until Sheldrake says, "Oh, by the way, I need the key to the apartment because I'm going to take Miss Kubelik right. there," and that's the line. Where he suddenly grows a spine, I guess. I suppose. Because, I mean, before that, he knew Sheldrake had already admitted that he had really no intention of marrying Miss right. Kublik. He was going to still fuck around for a while. So right. that didn't, that wasn't the line. The line was, oh, and I'm going to come and, you know, cuckold you in your own fucking apartment is, was the line. So it's just like, oh, <laughs> you're only halfway decent. <laughs> actually kind of selfish (laughs) i mean i do think that's all intentional sure and billy wilder said he said he didn't understand why people rooted for baxter and And that's where i think it's the jack lemon effect like i think he brings enough humor and relatability and sort of every manness to the role Mm -hmm. that you can catch yourself being like oh yeah baxter is like no he's (laughs) not awesome He is just intensely likable. He I'm is. trying to think. Jack Lemmon probably played bad guys at some point in his career. I can't think of off the top of my head of a of a bad guy role. Not a bad just, guy. No. He was just yeah. so likable. Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's the point at which Baxter just quits. He's done with all of mm-hmm. this. He gives uh, Fred McMurray symbolically the key to the executive washroom back instead mm-hmm. of giving him the key to the apartment. And he quits his job and goes home to pack. Yep. Moving out. Moving out. And then she is out on, it's New Year's Eve now, and mm-hmm. she's out with Shell Drake. At their same place in the same booth. Yeah, with a huge raging New Year's Eve party going on. Mm-hmm. That's a really nicely filmed scene. This, the whole film, it's, Wilder was not one for the sort of showy camera work, but mm-hmm. everything is filmed so beautifully. Mm-hmm. The, you get the black and white cinematography by Joseph Lachelle. It's it's so clear. It's so crisp. It's just so gorgeous. There's shots in this movie that, again, they're not showy shots, no. but they're just beautifully lit. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that scene early in the movie where he's on the park benches in the park mm-hmm. and the light is just hitting this row of park benches receding mm-hmm. into the background. Mm-hmm. It's it's really a gorgeous shot. But yeah, so we, they're, they're out for New Year's Eve and Sheldrake tells her about how Baxter let him down. Mm-hmm. It's all Baxter's fault. We can't use the apartment. We have to go to Atlantic City tonight because he just 
up and quit after everything I've done for him. Right. And most people would say that's where she realizes she's in love with Baxter. But you don't seem to think so. She may like him more (laughs) than she had previously. I think love is a strong word. And again, I Again, she literally runs across town to him. Or runs away from the asshole, whichever. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, either way. She needed to get away from that guy. So, you know, if people need to see that as, you know, two lovers walking off into the sunset, that's fine. I see it as the start of a friendship. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that may evolve into something else. But again, I think she needs to be by Over herself. a lot of gin rummy. Over a lot of gin rummy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would vote that she either stay single for a while, mm. you know, find the you, or, uh, <laughs> you know, hook up with somebody who has a job but not a wife. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you, you ever going to love, love somebody else? Can I get an amen? You literally two days ago tried to kill yourself. <laughs> right. Maybe it's about a, about a week at this point. About maybe, a week has gone by. Still, <laughs> maybe not the time to hop into a relationship. The holidays are hard on a lot of people. With a man who can't even bother to buy a colander. <laughs> the tennis racket method works perfectly Except well. Except that it doesn't because the gaps are actually too big for spaghetti and it just, <laughs> no. And it's gross and dirty. Uh, but sure. You see how low the bar is? <laughs> for men? Yes. <laughs> If some dude pulled out a tennis racket to drain his... Well, she calls him on that when she's staying there. She's like, you're a terrible housekeeper. You don't... And the neighbor next door is like, you don't have napkins? Nothing. Just nothing. (laughs) He's like, I got paper towels. But you deserve a hot woman. (laughs) You're so hard on men in these movies. Well, if they were better, I wouldn't have to be. You know who's probably a good dude? The old guy that was sitting next to him down in the fucking bullpen that's like, I've been here for 30 years and haven't gotten a promotion. How come you're getting a fucking exactly. promotion? Exactly. That dude's probably decent. <laughs> okay, so I actually can't tell whether you like this movie or not. Yeah, I don't know either. I really like Shirley MacLaine. She's really, really yeah. good. So if nothing else, I was happy to have the opportunity to And it's it. a really well-written role. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think in a lot of these movies, the, the men are the protagonists, but while they're... Seems so much more interested in the women. Mm-hmm. I think they're much better and more complexly written than in a lot of the women's roles at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we look at Sunset Boulevard, if you look at Double Indemnity, even Sabrina, yeah, he, he wrote good female characters. Yeah. But this is not going to be a new Christmas classic in our house. You are free to watch it. I probably won't be watching it again. No. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that's our show we want to thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us again next week when we watch what will in the spirit of the holiday be another really problematic movie about male and female relationships we're going to be watching kramer versus kramer from 1979 kramer versus kramer was released 40 years ago next week and it has just enough christmas in it to qualify for our christmas adjacent movie marathon okay is this going to trigger me as a child of divorce uh, it might trigger you into filing for divorce. Okay. Start the new year off right. <laughs> In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic, and subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch.
Let's go take some bulbs off people's bushes. Ooh. I think we should do that. That could be a new tradition for I us. I think it should. And definitely that's what you should do to the people who leave their lights up too Yes. Long. That's an excellent idea. It's, it's like making a citizen's arrest. Yes. You're just going I'm going to take and... their fucking bulbs. <laughs> this is an awesome idea. Okay. Sorry. Continue. You're going to get shot. <laughs> You're a black woman running around people's houses. <laughs> stealing lights off them. You're going to get shot. <laughs> This is still Chicago. Worth it. 